This week's episode of I Remember This Cassette is brought to you by... Nothing, really. Uh, There'll probably be a commercial later in the episode that's advertising something, but they aren't technically a paid promoter of this episode, because I'm, I'm not a sellout. Not yet, anyway. I If somebody were to offer me money, I'd probably say, yeah, and do that. Then we'd probably get some sponsors, and I'd probably stick the commercials in later, which will make me look like a damn idiot right now, but, uh, no, no, no sponsors on this episode of I Remember This Cassette, so, uh, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, with that out of the way, all this nothing sponsoring this episode, I'm your boy Kyle, and I am back on it with these December shenanigans, this holiday bonanza of Christmas miracles. Uh, we just did back-to-back coverage of Jingle All the Way last week because uh, I had nothing better to do in Texas. I'm still in Texas right now, so it's a it's a Texan sort of Christmas. And in the true Texan cr- tradition of somebody not from there, uh, I'm not doing anything special. So it's another episode. We're gonna be continuing our, our holiday movies because the looming spirit of Randy Newman ready to shit in my chimney still shadows over my head like something that casts a large Randy Newman-shaped shadow. Uh, so uh, last week I was talking about different types of plots that every Christmas movie makes, and then, absolute genius that I am, I was going to cover the second one this week, only to realize that one isn't covered, but I'll still give a thing about it anyway in case people are interested in lore and tropes and media savvy about movies that I spout out so very, very often. Uh, So the first one I said was family dad learns about loving his family through Christmas-related events, which was exemplified in Jingle All the Way, but shows up in uh, several other movies. Second one we're going to talk about is what was going to be somebody takes this, has to do the Santa job or at least help the guy out for a little bit. But what I realized is this gets covered a lot in TV specials. Whenever there's, like, Urkel Saves Christmas or Sonic Saves Christmas or Ted Bundy Saves Christmas. (laughs) I mean, Al Bundy. Um, Well, Ted Bundy Saves Christmas. I love it. Uh, (laughs) So it just has beloved cultural icon or figure or person that's relevant on TV at the time just doing their Christmas stuff when Santa Claus does something. And they have to make the, that famed sleigh ride. It, it happens a lot, but it really doesn't happen in movies that often. Uh, you do get it in Santa Claus with an E, which, uh, as I said last week, I saw that um, last year. So I don't feel comfortable covering that, but it's pretty good of a Christmas movie. But in terms of films, I can't think of anything else that I would at least have in my repertoire to cover for Christmas episodes, but I walked into this week's episode thinking that was sort of something that happened, and then the more I thought about this episode, because I kind of run through a plot synopsis and think I have everything, and then I kind of just expound upon it, and that's how I make an episode, because surprise, behind the scenes, um, the movie does start, and the plot does get kicked off with somebody trying to do the sleigh ride, and it not working out, and then that's where the real meat and potatoes are, and... Though, this movie, by the way, is the 1973-ish classic. Classic as in, like, I guess people care about this one a lot. I thought it was just one that my mom forced upon me because she did a lot of 70s culture stuff on me. 
and my, my, my siblings because that's what she grew up on, so she deemed it was wholesome because otherwise we'd start watching anime or something, and in hindsight, maybe that's all for the best, but yeah, so I, I watched a lot of 60s and 70s stuff, though admittedly a lot of Christmas specials were from the 60s and 70s because, yeah, this movie is The Year Without a Santa Claus. That's the one with the snow guy and the heat guy and Santa Claus not wanting to take the sleigh ride this year. So it, before I get into the whole plot thing, I will mention the whole, hey, someone tried to take the sleigh ride when I get to that, which is pretty early on. Uh, this movie comes from Rankin and Bass, who I'm all about. Uh, they are the forces that made it really big with uh, Rudolph in the late 60s. But Rudolph, and I'm not sure, I if, if it is a full-length movie, I might cover it next year, because I think I have all mine picked for this year. But I believe Rudolph was just a TV special. I mean, it was just a big Dillard's commercial talking about, oh, hey, if you're different, you suck until capitalism needs you, and then everyone loves you for your differences, but only if they're practical. So, hey, people with disabilities or different abilities, you better find something useful about it or else we're going to shun your ass, the movie, or TV special. I don't know. It was bad. It's a really bad movie. It has not aged well, but Rankin and Bass made it big on that when they started making lots of Christmas-ish specials in the 60s. I think it was 64 when Rudolph first graced the tiny screen. They also did a bunch of Easter stuff. They, they covered all the holidays. They did objectively the best movie ever made, Mad Monster Party in 68 or 66 or something. They made that one, but uh, that one's kind of a bit underground, but it's... Uh, the world just wasn't ready for Mad Monster Party. I still think the world isn't ready for Mad Monster Party. But um, eventually they ran out of holidays to cover, so they came back to Christmas and with an original concept, I think. I, I think they made up the song the theme song for this. There's a lot of stuff that gets ganked over the course of this movie, but I believe this is their first attempt at an original Christmas plot or something. That's not just a Dillard's commercial based off a Christmas song or something. But, yeah, Year Without a Santa Claus is the one pushed upon it. We had it on VHS with a bunch of other Christmas movies, kind of like the Halloween tape of fable and legend within the family. Year Without a Santa Claus had some stuff near it, so we watched it fairly often. It was pretty cool. I cosplayed as Cold Miser five years ago for a Rocky Horror Christmas show, and that was pretty amazing. I don't know if footage of that still exists. If it does, lucky you. If not, you kind of had to be there. I know I was, and it was spectacular. But speaking of not so spectacular, let's get into the year, that dreadful year, without a Santa Claus. Our sordid affair begins with, well, well, a book opening. And we get uh, an opening narration that, unlike most movies with narrators, it's a female narrator, which is peculiar and strangely forward and progressive for the Rankin-Bass team. I keep wanting to say Rankin-Bass brothers, but they're not related. I, I, I like to think they're just, like, Statler and Waldorf from The Muppets just cranky and crotchety. Except I think they might still be alive. One of them anyway. I, I don't know, but they're just old-timey folks that stick to old traditional values. Like when a woman gets too mouthy, the protagonist slaps them, and she says thanks. That's the best thing. 
that has happened to me in a while. Please do it again. Which actually happened in Mad Monster Party. I digress, though. We have a narration by a woman. And she's saying, Did you ever hear the tale of that dreadful year? The one where we didn't have a Santa Claus or something? She's doing it all in rhyme. And then, uh... It's revealed that we're at the North Pole. And it turns out, uh... It's Mrs. Claus telling the story. She's like, Yeah, I know the story because I'm married to him. This is the story of a guy who had a cold one morning, not necessarily on Christmas, but well before Christmas, said, you know what, I'm not, I only work one day a year, and even though this isn't that day, I'm deciding right now, no, my, I, I'm not doing it this year, I'm, I'm too tired, I'm too old, nobody believes in me, so let me not show up and reaffirm their disbeliefs, and she's saying that this is, this is for real, everybody. This is going to be it, the year without a Santa Claus, but it really should have been called My Husband the Asshole. But no, here we are. I'm Mrs. Claus, and I'm telling the real Housewives of the North Pole story of the year my husband was a bitch. Because, yeah, no, he just... Rankin Bass is batting about zero on making Santa Claus remotely likable. He was just... He was an asshole in Rudolph where he just walks into a cave five minutes after Rudolph is born and his parents, who are two of his eight tiny reindeer, are trying to adjust to the fact that he is, by the story standards, a horrible mutant freak. Santa Claus comes in and says, Oh, hey, congratulations on the- HOLY SHIT! What is wrong with your little baby? I you gotta do better than that if you want him to lead the team. Ah! And he's being mean to his wife in Rudolph, saying, yeah, she's making me be skinny. I'd rather have high blood pressure and stuff. How dare she? So I'm just going to be a grump to everybody and justify it because, oh, I'm trying to get my blood pressure down. That was him in friggin' Rudolph, and he's friggin' Santa Claus there. Now we got him in... We got him in Year Without a Santa Claus, which I really wish we'd have more Years Without a Santa Claus. Now, I mean, Mrs. Claus is saying this is long before any of you were born, clearly, because this is one of many Years Without a Santa Claus, because once we get into the 80s and 90s and anything after the mid-70s, Santa Claus almost always takes a year off and someone else has to take the sleigh ride, whether it be Elf Saves Christmas or Ernest Saves Christmas or The Smurfs Save Christmas. Santa Claus hasn't is basically once every three years kind of guy now. He just breaks his collarbone or something, or just has the same excuse he had in 73. I have a cold three and a half months in advance. I'm not doing it this year. But, yeah, that's just what he's doing. We have the opening credits and the entire premise of the story. Santa Claus just doesn't want to be Santa Claus because people aren't thankful enough for him doing all this stuff. Great. Now, first thing, Mrs. Claus, uh, who's voiced by Shirley Bassey, and I'm all about that as well, uh, she just says, okay, fine. If Santa Claus won't do it, I can. It's a pretty easy job. Everyone can be, anybody can be Santa Claus, even a woman. And that, that, that's a song. By the way, this is a musical. I forget constantly that it's a musical, but it's a musical. Like, there's, there's songs about everything. But the first big song after the theme song about, oh, it's the year without a Santa Claus, is anybody can be Santa Claus, including me, a woman. Ha 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 ha. And then Santa Claus hears all this nonsense, 
and says, nope, nope, can't have a woman driving the sleigh. Uh, we're just not doing anything right now. But people are still trying to be uh, confirming about things. So uh, he's saying shut down everything. He's going to the workshop telling the elves that, you know what, you've been working nonstop 360 days a year for the past 30 years. Take a break, you guys. We're canceling Christmas. And the elves think this is some sort of ploy because it's a, it's a rank and bass Santa, so he's probably playing some cruel joke on them, like expecting them to take a day off and then saying, yeah, let's take a day off. And then suddenly having one of his famous mood swings, oh, you want a day off? You want all of them off. You're fired and you have to go live outside of the workshop where it's 100 degrees below zero because I'm sure it's a rank and bass Santa. He's done that crap before. He's just that kind of an asshole. But, yeah, um, he says shut down everything, keep the reindeer in their, in their stable for the year. We're just not doing it. But uh, two clever little elves, Owen Wilson and... I'm either going to say Josh Gad or Seth Rogen. It's probably going to be interchangeable. But uh, we've got Owen Wilson with a longer nose and short fat guy who... Uh, I'm just going to go Josh Gad. Why not? I'll, I'll go new school for it. So they're like saying, mm, no, we, we can't have this. He Santa's muttering something about people not believing in him. So they just say, okay, we'll go lock up this reindeer. See you soon. Uh, we're not going to fly away. And he's like, don't fly away, Santa Claus says. And they say they're not going to fly away. Then they take the youngest reindeer, Vixen or something, I don't think this is the same canon as Rudolph, because Rudolph ain't around. Either that or uh, he wasn't needed for nine more years, so they got rid of him again because, hey, old habits die hard. But I'm pretty sure it's a different canon. It's a different verse than uh, your, than the other Rankin-Bass Christmas bonanzas. But yeah, they fly off and get into a turf war. Now, dear audience, at this point we are introduced to... Heat Miser and Cold Miser, who are two characters that are not generally part of your uh, holiday lineup. They are what we call original characters, do not steal, for the year without a Santa Claus. Uh, basically, they are the avatars of cold weather and hot weather, and most people... I, I, I know the movie pretty well, the year without a Santa Claus, but most people probably know Cold Miser and Heat Miser above all other things in this movie. They may not even know the, the source material, and maybe they're better off for it. But we're given a good, solid explanation of their story. They are half-brothers who represent warm weather and cold weather, not necessarily in that order. Um, and they're in a constant fight for who gets what turf, what gets warm and cold weather, because that might be what people believed in the 70s. I don't know. Stuff was weird then. Watch Schoolhouse Rock, and they they have an entire thing saying coal is definitely the future, and then there's the Elbow Room song that is just about imperialism, but it's got a catchy tune. The 70s were really weird, and that they brought us Cold Miser and Heat Miser, who were basically the clip, Crips and Bloods of weather, also, before there were Crips and Bloods, I think. I don't know. I, I don't follow the gang wars, but I feel like that was more of a 90s thing that was stirred up by Reagan and pals to 
get rid of his hated enemies, minorities. He wasn't a national figure in that 73. But, you know who were? Heat Miser and Cold Miser, because they were in the big Christmas special of this year. And our Elfie Pels, who, well, I'm just going to call the henchmen. I'm probably going to keep changing their name throughout the whole thing, but they're the henchmen for right now. They're flying right where they're having their, they're beefing over their turf. And somewhere in the middle of it all, Heat Miser throws a, 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 a thunderbolt, but it's probably a firebolt. But it's something weather-related, because I think... He has the power over rain, technically, because Snow Miser has snow. So Heat Miser tries to throw a lightning bolt at Cold Miser, and it hits the henchman instead, and they fall down and land in the south. It, it's not said where exactly it is, but it is defined as the south. I think the place that they land is legit called South City, Southland, USA. Without saying stuff, point is, they're in the friggin' south. And they're trying to figure out what's going on and make sure that the deer that they're riding, the baby reindeer, who, by the way, is super cute. Like, for what uh, the Miser Brothers, a.k.a. Rankin and Bass, can't do in terms of storytelling and character design, they know how to make good stop-motion props and everything, and they, they, they made Vixen the cutest little adorable baby reindeer of all, and they didn't make it a mutant freak this time! Hooray! Uh, but they crash down, the, the magic runs out so they can't just fly out of there or something, because you got struck by lightning or some, some crap, so they're trying to figure out where they are, and they talk to this kid with a stupid name, uh, it, it, I, I know the stupid name. He introduces himself as Ignatius Thistlewhite, but his friends would call him Iggy if he had any friends, because with a name like that, a name so ridiculous that I couldn't even make that up to come up with a fake name for anyone I don't remember the name of in this podcast, when he has that name, I sure one thing that he doesn't have is friends. But yeah, he introduces himself to the henchman, hoping that maybe he can have some friends, uh, he talks to them, he, they ask to take, to be taken to his leader, and he just, like, says, oh, yeah, the mayor's office is over there. Um, yeah, have fun with that. Now, they're, they're on their way to the mayor's office when a cop pulls them over for existing. Uh, now, bear in mind, they are in the South in any year ever. They are two guys hanging out with a reindeer that they have disguised as a dog by putting socks over the antlers because it's a baby reindeer with socks over antlers as passable as a dog, whatever. So they're just out walking their dog in matching outfits in the south. A um, policeman sees they are far too fancy for Southtown, USA and puts them in jail for some made-up charge, but at the end of it, it it's potential homosexuals in the South in the 70s. It was not a good time in America. And they are thrown in jail, the dog sent to the pound. Because it looks definitely like a dog. Because, wow. I, I, I've been to the South a lot for work. They're, they're pretty cool people. The thing about Southerners being idiots is way overplayed. But you know who doesn't seem to believe that? Rankin and Bass. 
everyone's an idiot down there, and the dog, the reindeer that is, is there and is in danger, and Santa Claus picks up on that, and despite the fact that he's sick, he seems really pissed off that, okay, I gotta go over there now, and he flies down there. Uh, using one of the other reindeers, mostly because he's worried about the baby reindeer, not because the henchmen are there. His henchmen are expendable. They were idiots. They didn't follow his instructions. So he, they, they, he could, they could rot in jail for all they care. But now he's got to fly down to uh, the south to get this crap straightened out and to save one of his reindeer, or else he has to use, I don't know, a the deformed freak on his reindeer team. No. He is engaged in eugenics far too long to get these flying reindeer to have Rudolph just on the team or some other unnamed reindeer on the team. He's got to fix this shit up right quick. So off he goes to the south on the other reindeer. Now I draw a lot of comparisons and I've gotten a lot of comparisons back when I worked for that particular company. But Amazon, the corporate giant nowadays, is basically everything that Santa Claus has been perceived to be. So I believe for all intents and purposes, back in the 70s, Santa Claus still had all of Amazon's power. So he has like tracking chips in all of his reindeer and probably his elves to make sure they're not taking unscheduled pee breaks in the workshop. So, he knows where to find Southtown, USA. So, he, he just flies right over there. Um, he talks to somebody who just happens to be Ignatius Thistlewhite, saying, Hey, did you see two losers looking really fancy? And something that is um, a dog. Definitely a dog. I'm not Santa Claus. And Iggy just is like... You know, and he's definitely a kid from the South, by the way. You can tell by his outrageous New York accent. He's like, oh yeah, I saw him. I, I sent him to City Hall. Hey, want to have lunch with me? I'm a very lonely kid. And Santa Claus is like, you know what? I'm not Santa from Rudolph. I'm not going to be one to pass up a free meal. Feed a fever, starve a cold, nuts to that. Feed me, Seymour or Iggy or whatever your name is, so... Uh, rather than help people that are in need, Santa has lunch. And again, say what you will about the South, they do know their hospitality. So uh, Santa just arrives at the Thistle White residence, the nerdiest place on earth. And the family's there, they make a big ol' home-cooked meal. And they sit down and eat and have exchange pleasantries because this was in a day before people had phones and had to have real conversations. So Santa says, all right, I'm just going to be blunt with you all. Do you all believe in Christmas? And the kid, uh, Ignatius Thistlewhite, age 12, is just, no, I'm mature. I'm the right proper age for starring in a Goosebumps book. I don't have time for Santa Claus is, 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 is. And then the dad's like, well, hold up. 
And the mom doesn't say anything ever in the entire movie because she has been cowed into silence by Dan Thistlewhite, whose name is probably like Ted or something, who was just the most spiteful man on earth who named his kid Ignatius because he wasn't ready to have kids yet. But he was still going to let the world know he didn't want that. Um, right. And then Iggy asks Santa, okay, dude, do you believe in Santa Claus? And then music starts playing, because we haven't had a song in about three scenes. So, sure, it's about time for that. And we have some heartwarming proto-Josh Groban shit about, I believe in Santa Claus, because, not because he's me, it's just he's a real nice guy. One of the best people that I ever met. Oh me, oh my. Then the second verse is about... Dad's encounter with him. He's asleep and he wakes up. Santa's breathing on his face. And they're just calling Iggy out, singing in harmony, saying, yeah, believe in Santa Claus, dipshit. What, what the hell did we raise you for? Come on. And Iggy is brought to tears realizing the error of his ways because some fat old guy in a red suit and a beard, also his father, two separate people, Santa Claus is not his father, um, sang a song about it, and it seemed pretty convincing. So he's like, well, I believe. Alright, uh, lunchtime's over. You should go now. And everyone just agrees that that was a really awkward song, and Dad's having flashbacks about that time on Christmas when he woke up and some old guy was standing by his bed and smiling at him. So he needs to go take his cocaine or whatever people did for PTSD in 1973. And Santa realizes, yeah, I guess I have to bail the reindeer out and I sang a nice song, so I, I'm gonna bail the, the elves out before they rat me out on who I am. Maybe I'll kill them later, but right now I need them out of jail. So he bails out his henchmen, uh, gets the littlest reindeer, and gets his ample backside on her, and they fly back to the North Pole, and Iggy and family are watching, and Iggy just makes a realization at that point, even though he didn't believe the song, but once he saw the old man who introduced himself as Klaus, with no last name or anything, once he saw him get on the reindeer and fly away, that's when he was convinced. Wait a minute, something's up. Some guy was asking about Santa Claus, even though it's September-ish right now, and he was wearing all red and asking about other guys in red that were also in town earlier. And then uh, he had something that looked like a reindeer but was disguised as a dog. I can put these pieces together. I'm intelligent. I'm 12 and what is this? That guy's Santa Claus. And I believe that uh, that really ends Act 1. Uh, he, he just went down there and resolved all the stuff that had gone wrong in Southtown. Uh, there's a lot of cutting between adventures. I'm streamlining this a bit, uh, but 
before we really get into like act two wherein the henchmen are trying to by the way the whole reason while they were in Southtown and before they got arrested for their proclivities uh, they were trying to like drum up belief in Santa Claus and see what people actually did because the whole reason that Santa was being a bitch was he thought nobody believed in him and that's why he didn't want to show up and affirm people's beliefs because that makes perfect sense but um, before we get to their convoluted plan to give Santa a day off because yeah that guy totally deserves it and they have to talk to the misers or whatever uh, we're going to do a commercial break and then we're going to do the back two thirds of this movie and it's going to be a ball huzzah I'm Heat Miser. You may know me as the guy that lives in the center of the sun and kinda looks like the sun in the Year Without a Santa Claus movie. I know I sound kinda like Curtis Armstrong rather than whoever played me in Year Without a Santa Claus, but I can appear in many forms, and that's not the point of the story. I'm here to give an important announcement about your prostate. Yes, your prostate. People that remember Year Without a Santa Claus are probably getting to be about a certain age where they should be concerned about what's going on around there. So I'm here to comfortably remind you to see your doctor <laughs> and tell him to put his glove on and stick it up the booty hole and see what is going on in the prostate region. Yeah. And while we're on the subject, did you know that uh, regular male masturbation is one of the best things that you can do to help clean out your prostate via stimulation. I know it's really special coming from me, heat miser, but I'm reminding you to keep your prostate healthy. Otherwise, you'll end up like my poor brother, Snow Miser, who has been riddled with several prostate-related illnesses over the past several decades, if you want to imagine that. If only he had gone to the doctor with the glove on his hand more often and had that sort of imagery planted in your mind. Maybe then he'd be there to collaborate with me because once he had had these illness-related stuff, we've gotten along a lot better. And, yeah. Look, there's nothing funny about prostate cancer. What is funny, though, is how to prevent that treatment because... Hey, butts are funny, and heat miser telling you to take care of your sexual organs by masturbating often, and thinking about me, heat miser, telling you that, that's real comedy gold, alright? So take care of your prostate, and laugh a little along the way, because this is the season for laughter, and joy, and fingers going up butts. So, yeah. And when you go to the doctor, when you go to the proctologist, remember to tell him that heat miser sent you. And have a merry Christmas. It's not too merry. Can't wait for summer. Yeah. 
Well, that commercial was, dare I say, a hot topic. <laughs> uh, but. Now, right, let's get back to the story. Uh, we're going to go back to the henchman now because I'm pretty sure everything that Santa does for the rest of the movie is sit around feeling sorry for himself and maybe petting a reindeer or something now and again until the end of the movie. We'll get to that. But uh, the next part of this movie is a lot of the work is done by the henchman and Mrs. Claus. Because this is not just the year without a Santa Claus, it's the movie without a Santa Claus, though he makes apparent appearances. Also, I don't think I've said at this point, Santa Claus is voiced by Mickey Rooney. So, yeah, he was the go-to young guy for about the first half of his career. Then he was the go-to old guy in the back half of his career. And the exact moment it changed was somewhere... Okay, it's not exact at all. It was somewhere between Mad, 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 Mad World and Year Without a Santa Claus. Like, there is just a, a split difference somewhere in the 60s. And it's pretty nutty. Um, just wanted to throw that out there. I forgot to mention, in terms of voices, um, it's Mickey Rooney. Now, back to not Mickey Rooney, we have the henchmen. Uh, they get out of prison because Santa saves them, saying everyone gets one. And they continue their mission to go to the mayor to see if they can get a day off or see if, like, the city of Southtown, USA believes in Santa. And the mayor is just, like... If you've ever imagined a stereotypical mayor who is also some sort of leprechaun gnome, that's the mayor of Southtown, USA. He's not, like, your southern sheriff. He's your southern mayor. He's got a stupid mustache. By stupid, I mean incredible. And he all but laughs the, uh, laughs the elves out of there. And they say, okay, is there a way we can prove to you that Santa's real? And if Santa is real, will you give him a day off? And he just says, you know what? Sure. If you can prove to me that Santa's real, I will call all the other mayors in the United States and we'll give Santa a day off. And America's the only country that matters because we're in that time of year uh, we run this world. Vietnamese rice farmers have not killed our asses yet. If America says Santa has a day off, Santa has a day off. And America runs by the order of all their mayors because we have a secret society that's connected on some hotline phone. Now, enough about that. The way we can prove this is if you make it snow on Christmas or for a day, you know what? Uh, if it snows at all in Southtown, USA, a place that it has not snowed before, if you can change the climate somehow, sure, we'll give Santa a day off. Good luck doing that. Get out of my office, you nerds. So the nerds, however, have Santa magic on their side, and they've made it snow in places before. Why not? And uh, they go to Mrs. Claus, who... Is still talking about, like, yeah, sure, let's give him a day off if it just shuts him up. They say, okay, great, uh, I know you know some guy that controls all the snow, can you, can you make it snow in Southtown, USA? And she's like, yeah, sure, we're, we're friends with Jack Frost, or Snow Miser, or Cold Miser, or Freeze Miser, several interchangeable names. Let's go see him, he's a, he's a good friend of ours. So they fly off and see, uh, the first of the two Miser brothers. And he gets his song because they haven't had a song in about, like, three scenes. 
Um, oh, there's also a scene about how it's going to snow in the south, and everyone's just so excited about climate change, which is the entire back half of this movie. Uh, it's it's great. It's spectacular. Uh, they they seem to be pretty dead set, and through the power of holiday magic, the mayor actually believes them. But then they have to go see Snow Miser. So there's a song about that. Then Snow Miser has a song introducing himself as Snow Miser. It's a catchy little ditty that was probably the whole reason that this movie existed, but they couldn't just make a movie about that because they weren't established characters in the Christmas pantheon. But yeah, so he sings this song, says, Oh, hey, how are you? How is Santa Claus? And he says, Well, he's kind of sick or something. And he says, Yeah, I need to go to a doctor and check out my illness, but I'm going to live forever, baby. No need to get that checked out. Uh, what can I do for you? And they're like, yeah, uh, can you make it snow somewhere someday? And they're like, sure, I can, I can do that, good friend of mine. Yeah, make it snow in Southtown, USA. Uh, I'm gonna have to stop you right there, says Snow Miser. Uh, that ain't my territory. That is my asshole brother Heat Miser's territory. He kinda runs stuff south of the Mason-Dixon line, so not gonna happen. Like, I can do it, but he'll just turn it into rain like a jerk. So, you're going to have to run stuff over with him. But, hey, give my regards to Santa. So, they're like, they're friends. The Clouses and Snow Miser, they go on vacations to the Alpines together or some some crap. Uh, but they have to go someplace else. They have to talk to uh, Heat Miser, who lives in a volcano or the center of the sun or something. And he's gets, a, ironically, a lot more of a cool reception there because... They, they hang out in the North Pole, which is, like, the coldest of cold places on Earth, so Heat Miser really doesn't have much to do with them because apparently Christmas only exists where it's cold. So he's like, no, why on Earth would I do that? Like, eh, not going to happen unless we do something outrageous. you got to give up some territory for me. Uh, I'll make it snow in deep in the heart of my territory if I let it not snow it deep in the heart of, I don't know, the North Pole. And Mrs. Claus is going, wow, you drive a hard bargain. And he might just like, well, I mean, desperate times call for desperate measure, and I've kind of got you by the balls right now. And they do that. And they, they call each other on the telephone. They get in a kerfuffle argument. Snowballs are thrown. Lightning bolts are thrown. The guys don't hate each other. But then, lo and behold, it, it's mentioned that they're half-brothers and they share the same mother, and guess what? A Mrs. Claus just says, you know what? I'm putting your mother on the line. I'm calling Mother Nature. And they go, oh, shit. And then there's just this voice of this old woman saying, all right, screwed up, boys. Get over here. We're going to fix stuff up. And they're both just, like, teleported, and we're in for some real shit for this next chapter, which we'll get to right now. So the entire crew gets teleported to freaking High Garden, where the Miser brothers are forced to meet face to face, along with the face of their mother. Mother Nature. Which, that's clever, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so they have a parlay of terms, which is basically the terms that they were trying to reach in the first place, wherein Snow Miser gets to make it snow in Southtown, USA for one day, and in exchange, Heat Miser gets to melt the polar ice caps. So, fair trade. They shake hands on it. They have bad looks at each other, but 
Mother Nature is not one to be trifled with. So, thus begins global fucking warming. But it was worth it, because we get a cool little scene where uh, the mayor's just on the phone with his wife, who he loves, I guess, and he's, like, saying, yeah, the the dogs are fat, you, you better have a uh, good casserole set up for me when you get home, woman. And what do you mean, snowshoes? It's snowing! And he looks at the camera and makes a, an Arnold face, because that's not supposed to happen. And then he just utters under his breath, sons of bitches actually pulled it off. And he asks his secretary to leave the room, enters several codes, and gets a phone wherein he calls all the other mayors in the United States and they have a secret society meeting and issue a formal proclamation from all the mayors in the United States that Santa Claus, I guess, is getting a a day off because some dipshit mayor in the South made a formal vow as a mayor which is the only political office that has to uphold all their promises fun, real fact um there's live footage of Richard Nixon saying, and with this proclamation, we declare Santa Claus can get a day off, even though he only works one day a year. But by order of the mayors and by President of the United States, Richard Nixon, that's me, Santa Claus will not be around this year. And there's a big newspaper saying it. A big top headline says Santa Claus gets a day off. Bottom of the headline says, polar ice caps melt. Nobody cares. Go watch Schoolhouse Rock. And Santa Claus now has to deal with his um, little baby reindeer uh, having a fever. And it only gets worse because that's the day that the polar ice caps are freaking melting. But it's alright. All stuff works out. Uh, because he gets the the news that he got the day off, so he got exactly what he wanted, and he reminded the world that he can rearrange the cosmos if he is that way inclined. Because he's already done the weather, and the the cosmos and heavens and God are nothing compared to the might of Santa Claus when he wants a single day off, despite the fact that he doesn't work. And he's just overjoyed with all this, because the whole thing was just a ploy for attention. Because of course it was. I wouldn't be surprised if if this happened every year. But then the letters start coming in. Because this was an attention ploy. He loves getting the letters from the kids when uh, they're paying homage and diligence and respects and tribute to him. But these aren't letters of happiness. They're letters of sadness. That we're sorry that you're sick, but Christmas just won't be the same without you. Christmas seems to be canceled without Santa Claus... He gets letters from Ignatius, Ignatius's data. The Grinch even sends a letter because he's a big holiday figure saying, Hey, Santa Claus, uh, I got a Halloween special this year. It's called Grinch Night. You should uh, check that out at some point on whatever network it's on. There's only four of them presently. Anyway, Merry Christmas. Congrats on getting a day off. I can always fill in if you want. And you can always check out Halloween. And the more I think about that, the more I realize that this is th- this whole story, the, the entire year without a Santa Claus, may just be a cover story sent by the North Pole to give a more Christmassy light to what really happened during the events of the Nightmare Before Christmas. It's kind of just 
governmental cover-up, only it's the North Pole government covering up the fact that he got kidnapped by trick-or-treaters, but they don't want to mention anything morbid. But I, I think that Year Without a Santa Claus, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't add up, but it can easily be explained if they're just covering up conspiracy-wise that he got kidnapped for a year and there was a skeleton that was flying around instead. Now, Santa Claus was just sick. It was just some swamp gas. Don't worry about it. But uh, he gets a letter from Elvis and a little girl with a giant bow who's singing an Elvis song, which is fair dinkum because Elvis stole from black culture. So little girls can steal from Elvis culture. Hooray. Uh, there's the sad song and Elvis, not Elvis, Santa. There is a Santa that looks a lot like Elvis, but uh, Santa is saddened by little girl being sad and says, you know what? I can't do this. It's not Christmas without Santa. And he rushes back to the workshop, says to the elves, hey, guess what? I had my change of heart just like you thought I was going to do. I'm glad you had six weeks off of doing nothing, but get back to work. We have to save Christmas. And by we, I mean you guys. I'm just going to do my sleigh ride like usual. You just have less time to prepare. Also, no overtime. He does the same thing with the reindeer in the stables because I'm sure they had a different special feed and a different special workout regimen that they had for the sleigh flight, but that got pushed off for six weeks and they got put into like hibernation mode and they could live like normal reindeer for a year but nope nope they still got to fly and everything good job also one of the reindeer is sick because the polar ice caps are melting but hey you know christmas is back everybody santa claus had a change of heart again despite the fact that you know we had to melt the polar ice caps and get a letter from richard nixon and the grinch nope there'll be no year without a santa claus Everything turns out fine. Probably a couple thousand elves died, and global warming, a.k.a. climate change, is still plaguing us today. But hey, Santa Claus felt spectacular. Um, he high-fives Mrs. Claus. They have great makeup old person sex at the end. Um, little Susie gets her bow straightened. It snows in the south, and it does that all the time now. Um, the mayor found out good things happen to those who talk to elves and snow miser had prostate cancer what a wonderful movie what a wonderful film there wasn't a book closing there really wasn't this time but there was a book opening and that's just really weird that they didn't bother to bookend it but you know what we got a bunch of cool songs along the way we even got to use some elvis stuff and I think Elvis was still alive at this point, so they didn't have to do the estate. They got it from the big man himself, but he was probably hopped up on drugs. But that was really cool. Way to go, Rankin Bass. You did all that. You made global warming seem normal. Climate change seem normal, too. And the world was prepared for it. And people that grew up in that time called it a myth that was made up by the Rankin Bass team. And nobody ever believed in it. And now we're boned 40 years later. The end. Final thoughts. I really like that movie. A lot. It's really charming, got a bunch of memorable songs and characters, and... Okay, like, a lot of the stuff doesn't age well and has... Welcome to Kentucky. Thank you. Thank you very much, Google. Um... <laughs> Alright, take two. Final thoughts on the movie are... It was good. It was great. Um, it's charming. It's it's cute. Like, there's a lot of good models on that one, just like any time Rankin-Bass do anything. There's a lot of stuff that I don't think that they were prepared for and 
ramifications that they weren't anticipating with the whole heat miser, cold miser, make the North Pole warm and make it snow in the South. Uh, That was completely unintentional, I imagine, but it's an interesting little narrative with good plot structure, all things considered. I just have to rag on everything that just made it an unimportant story because it's the year without a Santa Claus. He goes through all this work to not make, to not have to work that day year. And that said, like, there's a lot of logistics that Santa probably has to do, but there's also a lot of commentary on credit and bosses and operators and actual labor that goes unaddressed in every Christmas movie that pertains to elves. Um, but that's neither here nor there. It's charming and cute, but pointless at the end, and that's kind of a weak point on it, but hey, we got the Miser Brothers, we got the clever music about that. I enjoy it, like, I thought it was just a throwaway thing that my mom liked 20 years later, and then we kept watching for another 20 years, but apparently it's pretty well known, that's what I get for being a shut-in growing up, but a lot of people watched it, a lot of people talk about it now. I just haven't seen it in years, but, um, other things were, there was seriously a live-action version of the movie made, uh, sometime around, I think, 2008-ish. I have yet to see it. I know nothing about it except John Goodman was in it. I don't know, he was either Santa Claus or Heat Miser. I don't know who anybody else in that movie was, nor, frankly, do I care, but, like, they were going, they went really balls deep, the Rankin-Bass enterprises. I don't know. I, I know one of them was still alive back in 2008. I feel like they've died since then. But they were going all in on Miser Brothers. There's also a Miser Brothers Christmas special that, again, I didn't touch or watch or do anything with. But I know it exists. So watch it if you feel like it. Whatever. But it it's a cute movie. It's got some nice moments. Eh, good songs. It's no mad monster party, I must confess. But it's, uh... Pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I initially wanted it to be a thing about, uh... Someone else making the Christmas flight, and I just wanted to talk about Year Without a Santa Claus, but I thought the whole thing about Mrs. Claus being in charge of it was a bigger part of the movie. Though she really is the, the main operator of the story. Like, she makes all the moves. She's in contact with Mother Nature. She really is the protagonist of the story, which is which is pretty cool. But it's not about her taking the flight in lieu of Santa. So, it's not like an Elmo saves Christmas, or Mr. Rogers saves Christmas, or how the Grinch saved Christmas. It's not like one of those, but it's cool nonetheless. It's a genuine holiday classic in all definitions of the word. But it is very flimsy of a plot, albeit well put together. Looks cool, it doesn't hold up. I don't know, I'm saying a bunch of contradictory stuff. End of the story is, it's good, I like it. Uh, We'll see where we're going to next. We'll reveal the third plot, and maybe the fourth. I don't know. See you next week. Thanks for uh, sticking around. Like, comment, subscribe, tell your friends, and toodles, one and all.